Hello guys, how are you doing? Welcome to the World is Temporarily Closed Right Now podcast. Just want you guys to know what's going on uh, throughout the world. The stories, the fibs, the lies about this coronavirus. But we got other people that's going to talk about it. And uh, this is how my show will go. And you guys, I hope you guys, all of you enjoy it. Uh, Just listen in, guys. Hello and welcome. I'm Melinda Crane in Berlin for Deutsche Welle. Hi, it's François Picard in Paris for France 24. Don't believe everything you see on television or read online, especially in these times of confinement. Whether it's false COVID cures or grand theories of who's to blame, disinformation on corona is spreading virulently. So much so that the United States says we're fighting not me, but two the virus itself, and an infodemic. Conspiracies, lies, and the coronavirus infodemic. How contagious are they? That's our topic today in a joint edition of the debate. France 24 and Deutsche Welle with you. And we're pleased to welcome from Paris. He's a former Italian minister for European affairs, former member of the Italian parliament. Today, member of the European parliament, uh, elected on the slate of uh, French President Emmanuel Macron's La République En Marche party. Sandro Cozzi, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to welcome here in Berlin, Siska Brandner. She is a member of the German Bundestag, and she is the Green Party spokeswoman for European policy. In Toulouse, in the southwest of France, Jen Schrady, sociologist at the French political science institute Sciences Po, the author of The Revolution That Wasn't, How Digital Activism Favors Conservative. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, Jen, uh, with more time to scroll during confinement, we've certainly been exposed to all kinds of ideas. Uh, Since the start of the pandemic, though, how much have conspiracy theories gained traction? So... Conspiracy theories and so-called fake news are something that seem to fill the airways of mainstream media, of politicians crying foul, uh, whether in the U.S. or France or elsewhere. Uh, But the reality is that uh, fake news has always been around. Propaganda has always been around. And... Yes, there is an uptick in people going online for information because of quarantines worldwide. But it's really important to keep uh, fake news in perspective. Uh, In terms of the actual uh, percentage of news and information that people are both consumers of and sharers of, it's still a very small part of one's news diet. A small part of it, but yet we're all exposed to it. I'll I'll show you an example right now. There was a demonstration over the weekend in Stuttgart, Germany, against the lockdown. And on Twitter, uh, you'll you'll perhaps uh, see it. There there was this uh, one tweet with the hashtag. I learned a new word: Verschwörungstheorien, conspiracy theories. Uh, It's a man wearing a placard uh, talking about five. biggest dictators of the last 100 years. Uh, Angela Merkel is on there, the head of the CSU party. Topping the list, Jen Schrady, is Bill Gates. Uh, the, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which has been uh, 
at the forefront of trying to fight the pandemic. Would you say Bill Gates has replaced George Soros as the bogeyman for conspiracy theorists? Well, they're on different sides of the political coin, right? So um, uh, on the one hand, yes, Soros uh, has been the bane of uh, conservatives in terms of an easy so-called straw man in terms of some funding, not a lot of funding for conservative causes. But yes, Bill Gates, uh, people are uh, targeting him, of course, because of the work, the vaccination work that the Gates Foundation uh, has been funding worldwide. And yes, there are ties, clearly ties to the anti-vaccination movement. But if we take a step back, really what Bill Gates symbolizes uh, for a lot of people, uh, conservatives in particular in the far right, is representing what they call the deep state, right? So if you follow what conservatives in particular are doing online, and even if you see some protests that are happening worldwide, but especially in the United States, the anti-lockdown uh, protests, uh, really what we're seeing is a long, um, really trajectory of conservative opposing what they call big government, right? And for some, vaccines represent a concrete way in which governments uh, actually require individuals uh, to act, right? Getting vaccines, or in this case, why, why, why this is so much more extreme is the public health measures that people like Bill Gates symbolize uh, are forcing and um, you know, uh, improving public health by uh, requiring confinement. We're seeing some of those lockdown protests here in Germany, in fact, in several different German cities over this past weekend. Now, Franziska Brentner polls show that the overwhelming majority of Germans, in fact, support the measures that have been taken by the German federal government uh, on COVID. But there is a vocal minority out there that questions both the government's narrative and its approach. Now, I know you've been talking to some of your uh, constituents who apparently sympathize with those protests. Can you tell us what they're telling you? Yeah, I was uh, in the beginning quite shocked when I got emails from people or like friends close to me who were, um, you know, saying that they will intend to go to that demonstration. And, and I really wanted to find out why. And my impression was that many of them didn't know who was really behind those demonstrations, who was going to be in those demonstrations together with them, like racists, neo-Nazis, etc. So there was not a lot of awareness about who is behind it, who will be there, who, what other conspiracy theories that are, you know, spread in these frameworks. But of course, there are very legitimate concerns by many citizens. Um, and we as Greens are also voicing some of them. Many of those I spoke to because I'm coming from the southwest of Germany with a lot of borders with France, Switzerland, and many are suffering from the regulation that Germany put that you cannot see your family members unless you're, for example, married. You must be married. Um, but, and, you know, usually we have a much broader definition of family in Germany now, which is, you know, broader that if you have been for 20 years with somebody, you're still not allowed to see that person because you must be married. So there are people who are in their 60s, 70s who say, where's this country going to? Why are we back to such a narrow definition of family? I don't understand this. And I'm trying to tell them, like, it's right to protest, but please watch out who you're protesting with. 
And as you say, um, there have been concerns that these normal citizens with um, normal concerns could wind up being instrumentalized, for example, by the far right or by anti-vaccine activists. What do these two groups, the anti-vaccine activists and the right wing, have in common? And do you think that these protests show that the right wing, which was marginalized in the beginning of the corona crisis, may be about to make a big comeback? Yeah, we're trying to look more into uh, who is bringing these groups together, how does it really work, so we're still not completely, um, you know, we don't have all the knowledge we need, but we're really searching into it. What we know so far is that, of course, what combines these two groups is that they are skeptical of um, science, that they don't trust scientific knowledge. These are the same people who also deny climate change. So this uh, more general approach to you know how do we how do we do evidence-based politics, which is not accepted uh, by you know by far right people they do ignore the deny the climate change etc. So there are some approaches that they have together, and we also have evidence that actors like Russia today do bring two groups together and help to mobilize for those causes in very different sectors of society. Um, and we're trying to look more deeply into that, um, who is catalyzing it, which groups are activated. Um, we are quite sure that there must be some help to get these groups together. Uh, Sancho Gozzi, let me ask you on this. Uh, in your native Italy, the previous coalition government, you had the five-star movement uh, where there are a lot of anti-vaxxers and you had the far right. Uh, if the COVID-19 pandemic lasts, could that be sort of the shape of things to come in Italy? Well, I mean, it is certainly, um, if, I, if I may say, one positive effect so far of, of the uh, coronavirus crisis in Italy uh, that uh, it has made uh, disappear the anti-vaccine. I mean, we don't find them anymore. I mean, they were represented in parliament by the five star movement. Uh, they kept, uh, they started to be very silent. Um, and uh, this, I would say that it is, a, it is a positive effect. Now, it is clear that uh, uh, the uh, coronavirus still has shown one fundamental feature not only of extreme, of, of extreme right, but I would say of extreme populism, because in Italy we got a, a, a deadly cocktail of extreme right and five-star movement, a, a, a strong um, mistrust of experts, of science, of uh, politics based on, on evidence. And uh, certainly this has been uh, one of the features also for the mistrust on the social networks um, during the crisis. I, I want to pick up uh, on something Francisca Brantner said. These uh, homespun conspiracy theories sort of fueled and egged on by outside forces that uh, she is looking into. Uh, let's take a look. Cornell University uh, put together a, a list of uh, top 10 conspiracy theories. Here are a few of them while blaming Bill Gates. We talked about it earlier. The virus escaped from a Chinese lab. The, the other direction, the U.S. military exported the virus to China, um, a plot by the big pharmaceutical groups, big pharma as they're known. Uh, COVID-19 doesn't exist, that's another one. But topping the list in the Alliance for Sciences uh, article is 5G. The France 24's Observer's website 
Catherine Bennett looked into it. One of the conspiracy theories about the coronavirus that we've been seeing the most is a supposed connection with the building of 5G communications networks around the world. Take a look at this video. Flames engulfing a mobile phone mast in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. This video was taken on April the 2nd. Authorities think the fire was set deliberately. Since then, at least 20 other masts across the country have been burned or vandalised. But it's not just the equipment. Telecoms engineers are being harassed while they're trying to do their job. But do you know what you're doing now? You're laying 5G? Yeah. You realise that, don't you? Yeah? Yeah. So you know that kills people? But where did this theory come from? It all began with this man, Thomas Cowan, an American doctor who's currently on probation for treating a patient with non-approved drugs. In a video posted on YouTube on March the 12th, Dr. Cowan claimed that COVID-19 is caused by 5G networks, that 5G radio waves poison cells in the human body, and that causes the virus. If anybody want to make one guess is to where the first completely blanketed 5G city in the world was. Exactly. Scientists have dismissed Cowan's claims as complete rubbish, saying that 5G radio waves aren't strong enough to affect the body's cells or immune system. But the video was seen hundreds of thousands of times. YouTube took it down, but people are still sharing copies online and coming up with their own evidence. Like this map, for instance, that supposedly shows how the spread of the virus echoes the 5G rollout in France. Except that France doesn't even have 5G yet. The map shown in this tweet actually represents the rollout of fiber optic in the country. People who believe this theory are actually making it harder to tackle the virus. The director of the UK's National Health Service said that mobile phone masks are vital. They are what are connecting the country's emergency services with the people who need them most. Catherine Bennett with that. Sandro Gozzi, your thoughts on this 5G theory, uh, who's fueling it and, uh, and why? Well, I mean, for, to me, it's totally rubbish. I mean, it is, uh, I'm amazed to uh, hear uh, such uh, absurd theories. But yeah, yeah, you got uh, a double problem, however. I mean, uh, the first problem is that, uh, as I said, everybody can say anything today uh, because uh, nobody uh, trusts the so-called expert and the so-called official scientific world. And we have to work on that. We have to reestablish a trust toward those uh, who uh, carry out research studies, uh, who carry out serious work for the benefit of all. Uh, the, uh, the second uh, problem is the problem of the digital platform. Because uh, in your video, you showed that this absolute theory was spread out and then YouTube uh, intervened. I think that we have to do much more uh, in, uh, and we must be much more demanding with the digital platform because they must be our allies in fighting uh, this kind of uh, absurd theory and uh, in fighting uh, a, 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 a war against misinformation, which otherwise could really threaten our democratic cohesion in our societies. And I think that uh, this is something which has been uh, put under a much stronger light during the COVID-19 crisis. 
So let me ask Jen Schrady about uh, that uh, very matter, because in fact, uh, social media, including Facebook, Twitter, they say that they are trying to remove COVID-19 disinformation from their platforms, an unusual move actually uh, from Facebook uh, that has in fact refused to remove quite a bit of other content. How good a job are they doing of policing this content? Like I said, guys, they're trying to police it. They're trying not to let you know what's going really on out here, guys, but I'm going to let you know. Social media platforms in general do a terrible job of policing misinformation because their algorithms are actually designed to promote disinformation and fake news, right? So the top 10 fake news around COVID-19 that we just saw, it was really easy in just a couple words, a brief headline to see what that information is. And it's also negative information. And that type of simplistic, uh, hyperbole, dramatic, uh, sensational information is really what social media and its algorithms promote, right? So if we rely on uh, yes, a small group of content moderators or an algorithm that may draw a few key words in uh, and eliminate them. Yes, that can happen, but that's just tinkering with the margins. It doesn't address the fundamental problem of these social media platforms, which is that they're designed for very basic, simplistic, and in many cases, false information. So a, a quick follow-up uh, in regard to ourselves, to the mainstream media. As I mentioned to Francisca Brantner, in fact, polls show that the vast majority of Germans are absolutely uh, confident in the government approach. We, in the media, report quite a bit about the protesters who are not satisfied. Do we, in a way, give the conspiracy theorists and purveyors of misinformation too much of a platform? See, guys, uh, if you've been listening, uh, there's a lot that's been going on, a lot of lies, a lot of cover-ups, a lot of false information, a lot of stuff that they don't want you to, uh, to know about. Uh, they really want to uh, hide this COVID-19. Uh, they're trying to mask it, trying to say other things that what it really is. Um, they're trying to say that this G5 has something to do with it. Uh, like I said, guys, we're all in the dark. We all don't know. Uh, we're just speculating on a lot of things. Uh, but you know what, though? We, uh, we do all, as human beings, as Americans, as uh, people from other countries all around the world, we do all have the right to know what's going on because this is affecting all of our lives each and every day. But uh, we're going to listen on some more what they have to say about this, guys. Hold on. In many ways, I think that uh, the right now what we're seeing, right, if we're covering, if the media or researchers are looking at what's happening with protesters, right, it's the anti-quarantine protesters who are in the streets, right? That's just a given. And about your question of how many people they represent, I think it's a mistake. Uh, this may vary country by country, but it is a mistake to underestimate the entire conservative ecosystem that these protests represent, right? So if you look at far-right um, uh, officials that have been elected worldwide over the past 
four years, um, including uh, the Brexit vote, right? Whether we're talking about Trump in the US or Bolsonaro in Brazil, uh, social media, yes, was a part of what was going on. But the other key point is that if we just get rid of that, uh, that misinformation, it's not going to get rid of the ecosystems of grassroots conservatives who are meeting on a regular basis. Now they're doing it online, but before COVID-19, uh, we're meeting uh, in community centers and all over a lot of Western um, European countries as well as um, particularly in the US. But I think if we uh, imagine that this is just a COVID-19 issue or it's just an information or science issue, that we're really missing it. And one more point, it's more than just uh, the money, it's more than just Russian disinformation, that uh, what we've seen throughout history is that uh, authoritarian authoritarianism brought on by fascism or right-wing movements uh, often happen not because a leader comes in and fills a vacuum, uh, but because there is a lot of strong civil society really supporting that, and we can't overlook that support. And she's right, because uh, there's a lot of people that's, uh, like I said, that's, that's supporting this, that's behind this, uh, this movement, uh, this siege, this, uh, this lockdown, this COVID-19, uh, like I said, guys, it's, it's taking a toll. It's, it's having a big impact on the economy. Um, <clears throat> we don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. Uh, only thing that we can do as people in, uh, in our country and on this planet, basically right now in America, in our homes, is to focus on each other and our family and our loved ones. Focus on the ones that's close to you. I see these are some some of the most educated people right here talking about uh, this this COVID-19, this coronavirus that's been going on for the last few months. Really, I believe a year. Uh, but they're just telling you uh, this little outcome now. But it's been going on for, like I say, around since November. And um, and it's, it's gotten over to America, and it's taken a toll on all of us over here. Uh, we, uh, we are shut down. We are locked down. We cannot do things that we normally used to do. Uh, but I'm going to let these guys finish in on, on some of the stuff that's going on because these guys, uh, they have a great idea. They have a great opinion. And um, these guys are really, uh, their insight and, and look on it is, uh, it, mean, it, it means a lot. So I'd like you for, uh, to finish on what uh, these guys have to say. So I, I know that Francisca wanted to say something to the same question. If you would, uh, Francisca, it'd be uh, great if you could be brief because we do want to uh, get on to one or two other topics. But also just a very quick question on Facebook. It has now announced a new supervisory board that supposedly is going to help it do a better job of content moderation. What do you think? Is it going to work? No. no, we need much more legal frameworks for Facebook and co. We also need to split Facebook from WhatsApp, from Twitter. It's all one data monopoly. That's not acceptable. So we need much more legal state uh, action uh, to get that really huge problem for our democracy under control. And to the question, do you report too much? You know, I think there is a lot of 
there are a lot of worries out there about the current situation. I don't know anybody who's not asking themselves big life questions. So it's understandable. And none of us has all their knowledge. And we're still getting into more data. Um, so I think, you know, we should not underestimate how many people have doubts. And I think we need to have reporting that shows who is really demonstrating and who is behind it. So it's not enough to say there are 10,000 people in the street, but your job is also to show who is behind it, how many racists were there, how many you know, signs did you have that are forbidden in Germany. Um, and yes, overall, probably the biggest majority in Germany is looking for some vaccine and is hoping that they can get one and only minorities afraid of it. Um, but still, you know, it's important to report on that phenomenon. But Francisca Brantner, I'm haunted by something Jen Schrady said earlier, which is that these platforms that we all use are catered to simplistic messages. It's what they're built for. So what do you do? Like she just said, uh, we are this stuff right here is uh, is bad because uh, what you gonna do? What can you do? Uh, the messages that they put out. Uh, Sometimes they're good, but most of them are bad. Uh, but what could no, you do? I, you know, we also all have to come up with uh, easy answers that are understandable to have a clear communication. So I'm not against saying, you know, it's something must be complicated and only then is it true. Um, but what we have to avoid is that we have, you know, really fake news, that we have uh, racist, that we have misogynists. You know, that's what we have to control. Uh, and that's where Facebook is not going far enough and not doing its job. And that's why we need more legal constraints on Facebook and co. And as I said, we need to split it up that data monopoly it's not acceptable i always say that to myself too because uh facebook has to do a better job because uh the stuff that they let uh go through and let everybody see is uh is very harmful and distasteful uh because she's right because like i said a lot of racism a lot of sexism a lot of uh, child abuse pornography a lot of stuff doesn't belong on facebook and, and they have to do a better job I'm not allowing that stuff because a lot of stuff right there, like I just said, is harmful and it's distasteful and it's uh, it's bad choices that these guys would let some of this stuff through. But uh, we're going to listen up on some more, guys. Uh, what do you think, um, Sandra Gossi? Would you agree? Do we need to actually break up Facebook? Well, we certainly need a new approach uh, at, at least EU level. Uh, because it is clear that uh, this is a situation of uh, global oligop oligopoly, which has also uh, raised fundamental issues on uh, data and on data protection. And there I agree uh, with uh, Francisca Bradner. We have also to uh, promote uh, authoritative sources uh, on the social network, which is not being done in a simple way, but authoritative sources and not uh, so much rubbish as we have seen uh, uh, in the video before, we have to demote uh, content that is fact-checked as false or, mis or misleading, and we have been we have to be very effective in doing this. And we have to take down illegal content or content that could provoke a physical or a moral harm. Now, all this today, uh, it is not being done enough, and this is why I think that also in the light of COVID-19 crisis, but certainly not only because of the COVID-19 crisis, we have to promote at least at EU level a new regulatory approach and a new regulation, especially for 
this uh, social platform, both uh, on seeing uh, uh, the issue of data, data storages, and uh, the active role in, in fighting against uh, fake news and misinformation. And they're right. You know, it's about time that somebody spoke upon it because it has to, it has to start somewhere. And um, hopefully that these guys are speaking on it, uh, there'll be some major changes done with Facebook. Because sure, uh, you know, nobody wants to see it come to an end, but we do want to see some major changes because a lot of stuff, like I just said a little earlier, is very distasteful. Uh, a lot of it is fake news. A lot of it is harmful. And a lot of it is a bad choice because uh, some of the stuff that they put on there, most of the stuff they put on there should not be allowed. That is my opinion, and I know that's most people's opinions. But... Everyone has their opinion, but we're going to listen up on this, and here we go, guys. So given the limitations of what social media can or are willing to do on their own, let's talk a little bit about what we can and should expect from political leaders. The French government put up a COVID-19 detox website that was aimed at exposing disinformation on the coronavirus, but it quickly found itself compelled to take this website down. So let me ask you this, uh, Sandra Gozzi. French, the French Journalists Association said that the website overstepped the government's authority and violated the principle of freedom of opinion. Would you agree with that? I think it is the, a too harsh criticism. I think it was excessive. And I think that in this historical moment, in this political phase, uh, we have to find new means uh, of fighting uh, propaganda uh, uh, on the social network, and the media also have a role. The media certainly, uh, it is a constitutional freedom, also of course protecting in France, the freedom of expression. But I would say that we have also another right as citizens in France and elsewhere, the right to be properly informed, the right not to be a, a, a constant victim of propaganda. So I think that uh, if uh, the French media were so uh, worried about uh, uh, the website of the French government. Uh, well, I mean, I think that should uh, uh, also do something more uh, to ensure a real freedom of uh, information. And to ensure freedom of information is uh, uh, pulling uh, forces to fight uh, to fight misinformation. It, unfortunately, and not only in France. Let me say that it is happening a little bit the opposite. It is not uh, the good traditional media. Uh, who, are tra who, are, who are managing to influence in a positive way the way information is run or is denied uh, in the social network, in the social media. Unfortunately, the opposite, the other way around. Unfortunately, all the traditional newspapers, for example, they are more and more looking for sensational news, more and more looking for conspiracy theories as well, in some, somehow, because they have to run after uh, the, uh, can you uh, give us an example, Yeah? Uh, what, give us an example of that. Well, I mean, uh, there are so many examples of campaign. Uh, take take some, 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 some campaign that uh, even uh, front-leading newspapers are doing based on something that they've heard, they haven't verified, uh, but uh, it, uh, they sell copies like that. Uh, I, I don't want to mention newspaper. Uh, but I think that in France, in the, uh, since, uh, I, for me, since 2017, I've seen so many examples of this. Uh, and also 
big or smaller campaign against many of us uh, run by major French newspaper uh, without properly verifying the sources. And I think that this is an effect of uh, the social network way of uh, running the information. Jen Shredi, do you agree? So there are two ways to look at this question. One is what is the role of the government and what is the role of the news media? And what we've been talking about is this tension between uh, the government, right, the role of the state, and the role of the individual, right? And so when we talk about fake news, I think we haven't really defined what it actually is, right? Because you also have a country like Russia, where three doctors so far have fallen from hospital floors. We have no idea what happened. They spoke out about uh, conditions with the coronavirus. There's also a fake news law in Russia now uh, in the name of protect, you know, promoting accurate information in Russia around COVID-19. But the result is actually, um, you know, a way to, uh, uh, you know, diminish uh, free speech, right? It's just a ruse. And Donald Trump talks about critiquing fake news. So what are we today really critiquing? The other really important piece is uh, that we've been talking about is how is the mainstream media a part of this distribution of so-called fake news? Um, yeah, when is it news and when is it, when is it critical? Thinking you heard Sandra Gotzi say that uh, publications from uh, mainstream outlets are chasing after sensationalist news. So some of it depends on what news outlet, right? But even very uh, legitimate um, uh, mainstream media is that journalists often have a two-sided approach to an issue, right? So especially as science is so new around COVID-19, um, and by the way, we have this idea that science is this perfect truth, which of course it's not, and it's because it's changing so quickly. Um, in fact, the World Health Organization keeps changing what, they're, what they've recommended as more information has come forward, that journalists want to present both sides. So if Donald Trump, for example, uh, or a politician says, yes, this drug is important. What I see uh, even legitimate outlets in the US like uh, NPR or the New York Times will say, well, Donald Trump and some people say that, you know, Clorox should be used, um, uh, you know, to uh, prevent or treat uh, COVID-19. But when we talk to doctors, they say something else, right? And so, and that's an extreme example. But I think that this idea of two-sidedness doesn't really work with science. And that's what we're talking about today. Let, let me come back to recommendations like the one that was made by President Trump that people might give some thought to ingesting either disinfectant or bleach. Uh, Francisca Brentner, you have expressed concern that the corona crisis could actually wind up fostering and fueling populism. What do we do when it is political leaders themselves, like Trump, but also, say, Brazil's Bolsonaro, who are purveying disinformation? You hear what she said? They're purveying this information, telling you this false stuff. 
Yeah, how many times have I thought how this crisis would have gone differently if we had, instead of um, Trump, Obama or Hillary Clinton, they would first have called a G20 meeting, we would have had some concerted action. Yeah, yeah it's scary yeah. to have some, instead somebody like Trump who's promoting fake news and conspiracy theories. Um, for me as a European, it just shows that we have to take up uh, a lot of duties that otherwise the U.S. would have uh, undertaken in such a crisis. So for me, you know, I can't do much about the U.S. It's scary. And I pity my friends who, who are, you know, very worried about their own country. Um, and we can only strengthen the progressive forces and those who still go with the truth and or with, you know, the scientific evidence that changes every day, but still, you know, it evolves and it, 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 and it exists. Um, and so I think we as Europeans have to take on more, we have to be more concerted, especially we have to be united and in solidarity, because if we don't get it done, nobody else will help us. And Jen, Shredi, maybe also to you the question of top-down um, disinformation like that, which has been uh, purveyed by President Trump, isn't part of the difficulty that it's very difficult to contradict or deny false information like the bleach claim without immediately being falling into the trap of polarization, essentially being stamped by Trump supporters as, uh, as uh, yourself part of the conspiracy. Absolutely, the role of ideology is crucial here. Uh, it doesn't, in many ways, it doesn't matter what type of information uh, is put out when you look at factors like ideology. So for those of us who study this question around fake news, there are a variety of factors that make a difference. Um, education level is one, but ideology is key. I can see on social media conservatives analyzing the exact same article as progressives and coming up with extremely different, uh, an extraordinarily different reaction, um, even beyond the question of bleach, right? Even legitimate articles about certain, um, you know, drugs that are being tested right now, uh, very different viewpoints. And in terms of your point about the, how top down it is, uh, again, we have to, in order to combat this, we have to start from the bottom up, right? So conservatives are effective because of a lot of organizing that's happening, as well as, of course, money, conservative media, et cetera, but on the ground, right? So what kind of media education is happening, media liter lit literacy, science literacy right now is really key. And with so many people out of work right now, I think it would behoove a lot of, especially the more democratic countries to consider putting a lot of people to work in this type of grassroots effort uh, for science and for information that serves the public health. Yeah, so you have uh, Donald Trump who's uh, got his uh, message uh, where he is uh, not only talking about bleach, but blaming the Chinese, calling it the Wuhan virus. Uh, you know, and you have the Chinese, well, they don't have bleach, but they have Lego. Let's take a look. The Fury. It's overwhelming our medical system. Look how backward China is. The virus is killing doctors. Typical third world. It's airborne. It'll magically go away in April. Everyone stay at home. Violation of human rights. March. Our numbers are now dropping. Impossible. Look at Italy. 
We wore masks. You like that. Hello, Fresh. I can always count on you. See that? See that? See how they did that? I'm gonna let you go some more on it. I don't know what to make of the uh, Tower of Pisa starting to lean there, Sandra. But uh, what, what, what do you make of that video, for instance, that was put out last month? About about the video you just shown, you say. Uh, I'm going to be very blunt with you. I'm very concerned with the global uh, disinformation campaign run by China. Um, and not only China, but China has played a key role in this. And I was, uh, I was, I'm still very concerned with the fact that this propaganda has been supported by a good part, a part of the Italian government during the crisis. We have seen uh, the foreign minister Luigi Di Maio, the Five Star Movement, and many leaders of the Five Star Movement, basically promoting the Chinese propaganda, making things to the Italian that Germany, France uh, did never helped Italy, uh, underestimated the support by the EU, and uh, overemphasizing uh, the support uh, received by China, also by Russia. But I would say that I would, I would say that. Uh, uh, the Chinese propaganda was in Italy very much helped by the Italian government itself. And I think that this is extremely disturbing uh, for the European Union. I think that the Chinese propaganda has been very strong elsewhere in Europe. Uh, and has been also strong in the World Health Organization uh, within the United Nations. I don't see why the Security Council is not acting very quickly because uh, the COVID-19, uh, COVID for example, it is a threat to international stability. And there again, you've got China or Russia that are breaking down and slowing down. So I think that we have a major issue, which is certainly, as it was said before, not only linked to COVID-19, but it has been magnified by COVID-19. And I think that it is something that we have to watch out very closely. At least this is my intention at the European Parliament. Yeah, you've got you've got the European Union sort of in the middle of this battle between the superpowers. Francisca Brantner, uh, we had the EU's uh, envoy to Beijing, who was chastised for going along with China Daily, the communist uh, uh, party newspaper in China, uh, censoring a pretty innocuous open letter calling for more cooperation. They removed a reference. I'm reading this to the fact that the pandemic originated in China. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, it's very worrying what uh, Chinese influence uh, is doing right now already in the EU. Um, and I think we have to be extremely careful about it. But let me also be very clear um, is that we as Europeans need to help each other much more strongly. And, you know, yes, Sandro, on Italy, I'm like, sorry, Germany did have an export uh, stop of the medical devices you needed in Italy to Italy. That was terrible. It was so wrong. And yes, the Chinese did have a better PR campaign around it, but still, we didn't do our job. And if now we don't invest enough in Italy and we will not save the Italian companies, yes, the Chinese investors will come and buy them up. You know, if we are that stupid to allow that, it's our own mistake. Let's not charge the Chinese for it. Let's make sure we do the job we have to do. So we're just about at the end of our show, but Gentrady, if you would very briefly, please, will we see the infodemic peter out of its own accord as societies start to move out of lockdown and back into some semblance of normal life? So 
I think there is not going to be a big change in the problem with fake news and disinformation uh, until some of these broader political and social class issues uh, are really addressed. And that's something that we're doing uh, at the Observatoire um, Sociologique de Changement uh, at Sciences Po. We're studying these. So my advice is to pay attention to people on the ground and also pay attention to scientists and social scientists who are studying it so that policymakers uh, can enact policies that actually make sense and are not at the bidding of uh, Silicon Valley. So even if we see the pandemic wane, the infodemic may well stay with us. Thank you very much to all of our guests for joining us for this special edition of the debate with Deutsche Welle and France 24. As you guys got to listen in on these guys talk, <clears throat> like I said, uh, it's just been a bad year for everybody, guys. It's been a bad year. It's been a bad year. But uh, we all still have to... Uh, be thankful for what we all have, guys, and that we're all still able to be here with our families. Uh, because, like I said, these are trying times right now with this COVID-19. Uh, just so many, so many stories, so many lies, uh, so much fake news. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. Uh, but you know what, guys? Uh, this is the World is Temporarily Closed podcast. And... Um, I'm just letting you guys know what's going on. And I have something different for you guys in a little bit. But for now, you guys enjoy and take care. And uh, with every blessing, I hope, there be, I hope there comes a lesson. So you guys enjoy.